And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, playoff episode number 19. Yes, 19. We're closing in on number 20. Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris, Bricciaroli here with you talking about game two of this World Series. It was the dreaded bullpen game for the Dodgers, and it didn't go all that well, but it kind of fell apart at a point where I didn't expect it to fall apart, guys. Dustin May allowed a lot of hard contact, only got four outs, only threw 25 pitches. We knew their path was going to be unusual. It was a reasonably early hook for Tony Gonsolin, but he just pitched a few days ago in, I think it was game seven of the NLCS, so... There was going to be a limitation there. I kind of felt like they were bouncing between their A guys and their B guys, trying to use the A guys at the top of the Rays lineup, trying to sneak the B guys in against the bottom of the lineup, just based on the way that team's built. And, hey, this was one that the Rays had to win, but they did what they had to do and and got the job done. So I think this is as much a a tip of a cap to the Rays as it is the Dodgers screwed something up. Yeah, I mean, Gonsolin was used for a puzzlingly short amount of time, especially now that you look back because May May just was all over the center of the plate. It looked like I was looking at the spray chart of where he kind of lived tonight, and he lived where you don't want to live. It's no no secret why the Rays had a lot of really hard-hit balls and were able to string together um, some big innings, especially for them by their standards. The offense has been struggling for much of this postseason. Um, and, and you saw it in May's reactions. He knew. Uh, he was making kind of those faces on the mound afterwards. Um, he knew he didn't have it tonight. And I guess if you're the Dodgers, though, you kind of, I don't want to say conceded this game, but didn't it kind of feel like, all right, this is what we're doing no matter what. Now we're lined up. We've got Bueller, game three. Then we have an off day. And then they're probably, you would think they would go with um, Urias, right, for game four. So they're set up pretty well. So to me, it kind of just seemed like the proverbial emoji shrug from the Dodgers. If they pull it out, it's a big steal. But in a seven-game series, you just can't play every game like a must-win. Yeah, I mean, uh, but they, they did by not letting Tony Gonsolin stay in longer. But, you know, what did Tony Gonsolin throw, like 30, 40 pitches in game seven? Uh, you know, I don't know how many more pitches he he really they really wanted him out there for. So uh, this was going to be the strategy all along, and um, it might have worked. You know, Dustin May was leaving his pitches up. I'm looking here. He, uh, the yeah. William Adams one was up. above the belt. Randy Rosarena. Oh, that was a, that's an out. You know, Savant has like blue and green for balls and in play, and it's just like, dude. 
It doesn't work when there's two pitches that are too close together. That's the problem. Also, Eno's wearing blue blockers. I don't oh, know if that that's factors it. it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I didn't think I'm colorblind, but uh, anyway, the Brandon oh, Lau, uh, the Brandon Lau one was a uh, a, a curveball at the belt. Um, it is funny though because Kevin Cash said something really weird about Brandon Lau facing. Clayton Kershaw, a low, uh, who throws some low fastballs, and and thinking that would get him right as a low ball hitter, um, I did see that uh, he only had one swing above the above the strike zone. Uh, Brandon Lau did in the Kershaw game, and um, that has been a problem for Lau. I looked at a heat map for his swings and misses, and there's been a lot way above the strike zone. So he's been really flailing at pitches above the strike zone, and this one. Uh, the pitches that he did hit didn't look like they were, you know, super low, but they were belt high, and he didn't swing. Over, he didn't swing under a lot of stuff over the top of the zone, and he was on fire. I mean, he hit a homer off of Gonsolin, he hit a homer off of May, um, and uh, really put the Tampa in the driver's seat. And you know, so far they've only had three hitters with an above-average OPS in that lineup. You've got Randy Rosarena, of course. Um, and then you got platoon lefty G-Man Choi, and then surprising power Manny Margot, who's like kind of was supposed to be a platoon guy too. Like those two guys could fall below average pretty quickly, and then you'd only have Randy Rosarina. So uh, if Lau gets back in there, maybe they don't. There's not as much pressure on Meadows and Yandy Diaz and some of the other guys that have been underperforming. Um, and uh, so th- this could be one of those things where the Dodgers did kind of want to, you know, kind of thought they might lose this game, but the way they lost it may not be exciting to them because they don't want an, an awakened Brandon Lau. That changes the the Rays lineup, I think. Everybody in the Rays lineup who started had a hard hit ball in this game. So it's nice to see this offense kind of waking up all over the place because we talked about their dependence on a Rosa Arena being a major issue coming into the series. At the very least, if you get Lau going, it's still kind of a top-heavy sort of group. So if you're getting hard-hit balls from Wendell and Adames, Kiermaier and Zanino, things are going really well. Now, Blake Snell was pitching great, and things started to unravel on him in the fifth inning. He didn't complete five. I thought he was out after five, even if he was pitching really well, and he was carrying a no-hitter a few innings into this start, and I thought, oh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's a path for him to go a little deeper. But uh, it unraveled on him in the fifth inning, Coming up to that third time through the order, just prior to that, actually, it was the bottom of the order that got him. It was Chris Taylor who hit that home run off of him. There was a, a sequence in the in the prior at-bat against Kike Hernandez. I thought he was getting squeezed a little bit, and that made the situation a bit worse. Uh, but the thing I liked about Blake Snell, even though he walked four, got to the nine strikeouts, that's outstanding. The slider changeup mix that we were talking about earlier. You mentioned this, you know, he was getting a lot of weak contact with the changeup previously, and he was probably throwing it too much. He got back to using that slider really effectively, and that seemed to really unlock everything else for him. Yeah, nine whiffs on 13 swings for that slider, and there was a game where he threw the changeup 30 times in this postseason, and today he threw it 14 times. It wasn't great. Didn't get any whiffs, but the one time it was put into contact, it put into play. Fifty-two mile an hour exit velocity. So like, that's what he should use the changeup for when he's forced to go in the zone and he wants it to be you know weak contact. And um, so he kind of he just used it to change things up. And mostly it was the two breaking balls that uh, were so excellent for him. Both had combined a better than forty percent uh, called strikes and whiffs. And 
I thought he I thought he pitched well. You know, generally he doesn't doesn't have that great command, so I think that's why it's hard to ask him to go very much further than he did. Yeah, I mean, we talked yesterday about getting him through five, how that would be ideal. Didn't quite get there, but got close enough. And I agree with you, Derek. He was definitely squeezed. Um, I think that contributed to falling behind. Um, he, you know, he's a guy who I think would rather walk someone than get beat most of the time. And so I think that probably contributed to a little bit more walks than you would think. It just shows too on the flip side with the Dodgers, like how quickly they can get back into a game. Like they punish mistakes. He, they had no hits and all, then all of a sudden they had two runs. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you really, to me, the, the story of the night is the race offense kind of getting back on track just because you're going to have to, if you're going to have a chance of beating the Dodgers at all, the race during the regular season and the playoffs are the best team in baseball when they're leading. They're 32 and seven, which is mm-hmm. pretty impressive. So, um, if Tampa Bay is able to get out to any kind of a, any kind of a lead, whether it's one nothing, two nothing, whatever, um, uh, they've historically had a lot of success this season because of their ability to, you know, the bullpen and things that we've talked about, but they got a hit. And I think, I think that's got to be the theme for tonight. Yeah, because, you know, the pen pitched really well tonight and he still gave up two runs. Like you said, like the Dodgers are going to do it, you know, like the Nick Anderson. In fact, his, his fastball was lost. He was back up off of the, the worst of his of his career. He, he doubled his whiffs on fastball. So like there was some there was like Nick Anderson looked a little better. He got two strikeouts. Yes. He looked a little better. It wasn't quite vintage Anderson, but he looked better. And he still gave up a homer. And Pete Fairbanks was pretty close to Pete Vintage Pete Fairbanks. I mean, he was throwing hundreds up there. And maybe the command wasn't great. He gave up a homer. So, like, this is about what you can expect from the pen. If they're going to have to go four innings in a game, then they're going to give up a run or two. So you can't just expect to win one nothing. But I, I, I thought there would be uh, this would be an interesting side question to ask you guys. Uh, Snell went four and two-thirds, uh, gave up two runs. Um the team was leading when he left. Uh, Nick Anderson uh, got four outs, gave up a run. Pete Fairbanks went five outs and gave up a run. Loop went got three outs, no runs. And Dio Castillo uh, got one out. Who gets the win? I know the correct answer because I know who was given the win. What <laughs> should happen. Who should get the win? In this situation, what should happen is we should look at something like win probability added. And if that's really close... Then Loop. it should go to Snell. Snell did more than any one of the other pitchers that contributed toward this win. That is... He did. I feel like this is an SAT type question. And you, Actually, could, you could just argue it a million no. different ways. Britt was right. It's Loop. If you look at win probability added, it was Loop. Uh, that's, what, that's what I would have said. Because it's if weird. you look at the situation, Loop came in. The Dodgers were threatening, and I think that's when I said, hey, Eno, you better start writing because you were going to write a story yeah. if the Rays lost. And he got and a bunch it seemed of like, tough lefties out. Yeah, the tides, it seemed like they were a turn in yeah. there for a second. And <laughs> I don't know, came though. in with all his funky stuff and was able to shut it down. He got real lucky on that ball that was scorched down to Wendell, I believe. Yeah. I just, I just don't think that maybe win probability is the exact right thing because you, you, the win probability goes up as the as there's fewer outs, right? So you're gonna mm-hmm. give it to people that pitch later in the game, even for no good reason. Almost, I, I think you have to consider bulk a little bit. I mean, Snell got 
14 outs. You know, the closest anybody got was five. Right. He got, he got more than half. Like, you need 27 yeah. to win. He got more than half. That should I'm giving, be enough. I'm giving him the win. I'm giving him the win. I know win probability says loop. I would get, like, yes. I think holds, I know I know holds aren't great, but I think holds are, are interesting for arbitration, for, you know, just to award people something for doing something good. Yeah. What loop They're did, not sexy, though. <laughs> but I like loop. I, I think loop got a hold. You know, a big hold. A hold that we would care about ordinarily, not the hold like you showed yeah, up, you like faced the guy hold. and left the game. Like not, not the pre three batter minimum faced <laughs> one guy save. and left. Came on, walked Secondary the guy. Secondary saved. Yeah. A half save. A half save. A meaningful <laughs> inning. A meaningful high leverage inning. Oh, that'd yeah. be just a brutal acronym. Like we we can't oh, yeah. we can't start bad. down that path. So uh, when I when I was covering the Orioles, Buck used to call um when guys made it out, but it was like a good out, he used to call them pofos, productive outs for the Orioles. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and he'd be like, so-and-so had two pofos. Mm. And other visiting writers would be like, what the hell is this guy talking about? <laughs> <laughs> also rolls right off the tongue. I, it sounds a lot like a mofo. but uh... Totally. <laughs> so if we're, I, guess, <laughs> I guess we can come up with some kind of acronym, productive uh, inning for the Rays. Yeah. Basically, could have given the win to anybody but Nick Anderson, and I would have said, good choice. <laughs> <laughs> How about multiple out flame outing? Mofo. Luke gets the mofo. But the problem is <laughs> the, the flames mofo. are hard-hit yeah, balls that's in right. our that world work. now, so those work against pitchers. So. Dude. It's like goat. Used to be a bad thing, and now it's like now it's the greatest of all time. That's Remember right. when we goats were bad? But the, yeah, dude, speaking of those fire part. things, man, Dustin May got four outs, faced eight batters, and had six hard hits. That's not good. <laughs> There's not a – I don't look at that no. all the time, but I do look at it frequently, and I can't recall seeing a one and a third from a reliever with six hard hit balls next to it. It really and stands out. I wouldn't expect to see it from Dustin May. Like It's another outing where you're like, the stuff is good, but the command isn't. And something else could be wrong there, too. I don't know if it's that he tips pitches sometimes or if it's sequencing or what exactly it is, but somehow the sum of the parts is worse than it should be. And it drives yeah. me crazy watching him because he's he's fun to watch, but then he disappoints you and he becomes an unfun watch as a result. That's true. That's true. I mean, Here's my issue, and you know, you you like him a lot. Um, why is Gonsolin kind of treated as like their, like schlep? Like he's a a legitimate arm, is he not? He's got three pitches. I I know he's been used a bunch, but it just seems like he's kind of like, oh, we're just gonna go with him. He's the mop up guy. He's whatever. Um, I don't know it. Why? Why? Why don't the Dodgers value him? I I mean he he's given up some hard contact. Um, maybe he's like. To north-south. I mean, if you look at these Dodgers, they seem to care about horizontal movement, right? Like, they care about right. uh, suppressing home runs. I think even though Dustin May, I mean, he did give up a homer. But, you know, you, usually you'd think a guy like Dustin May or Bruce Algaterol with the velocity and with the horizontal movement would suppress some home runs, get the get off the barrel a little bit. Um, and I think Gonsolin doesn't do that. He has almost absolutely no wiggle side to side. He's almost completely a north-south guy. So maybe they think he can do well when it comes to strikeouts and walks, but give up homers. And that's been the story of his postseason. Um, so I, I still like Gonsolin, but I, maybe that's maybe that's it. I don't know. 
Right. Gratterall doesn't miss many bats either, though. Isn't that the issue of putting him as a potential closer right now is that he doesn't get enough swings and misses? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm kind of all messed up by this Dodger squad. Like, you know, I can't <laughs> what tell. What are they doing? No, but I can't tell if they're ahead <laughs> of the pack or behind or, or you know, outsmarted themselves because, you know, this is one. I think this year or last year was the first year that uh, results on the four seam and the two seam converged. Uh, one of the reasons we started throwing a lot more four seams is the four seams were better. You know, that was why we started throwing the high four seam and people started going to the four seam more and using it for whiffs and all that stuff. Uh, but then, you know, fewer and fewer people that had bad sinkers were throwing the bad sinkers anymore. So you you kind of whittled it down to only the good sinkers. And all of a sudden they converged. If you look at sort of Woba loud. So uh, I think maybe the Dodgers like outsmarted themselves and they're like, hey, you know what? Like two seamers are good again, or, or, you know, like we can be out in front of people by getting the two best, three best two seamers in baseball. Um, or if it's just like, you know, the personnel they ended up with and, uh, it's not, it's not really working out like Dustin May, Bruce Argallibel has been good, but like, you know, Blake Trinan can, can get hittable too. I mean, Dustin May tonight, the sinker got hit. I don't know if it's the command or if it's the sinker, the sinker does not get great results despite him throwing it 100 miles an hour. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Is Tony Gonsolin the new stripling on this team? I mean, look at the overall body of work. Like, pull away from game two tonight and just look at what he's done in 86 and two thirds regular season innings last year and this year. He's pitched to a 260 ERA, a .92 whip, 83 strikeouts in 86 and two thirds innings. You look at those numbers and say that's a good starter on most other teams, and he's just more of that glue sort of guy. For the Dodgers, they had a handful of times where they had to use him like a regular starter during the season. That went fine, but when the chips are all on the table, it seems like they do kind of have that reservation that they had for a long time with Stripling. And there would always be these instances where Stripling would get those chances, and usually he would exceed most people's expectations. But then they'd bump him back. Beginning of this season, they preferred Alex Wood to Ross Stripling. That was weird, right? And now Alex Wood was the guy that pitched today when they were trailing. And I thought we had a question that came in on Twitter. I think it was from Alex, and it was about uh, Urias and whether or not he was really in the mix for tonight. And I I think the way I saw it maybe happening was if the Dodgers were protecting a lead sometime in the middle of the game, around the fifth inning or so, and they needed that bridge, they needed seven, eight, maybe nine outs if he's really efficient, Urias was that guy, and you'd say, don't worry about game four right now. Let's win game two. And then Alex Wood, 
who came in because you were losing, he probably becomes your your opener or your guy that goes to the you lineup punt, the first time the in game, game four. You, you punt later, right? Yeah, you go up two yeah. zero if you can, and you say, "We'll right. we'll deal with game four later because we're going to have the off day. We're going to see how game three goes, and we got." You know Walker Bueller going in Game Three, so hopefully we're not even that tax coming out of the pen going into Game Four. Like I think that was the way they were going to use Urias. I think that was really the only way we were going to see him in Game Two. Yeah, and Dave Roberts tonight again did not rule out getting Woods to start at some point in this series. I think it'll probably be an opener situation, like you said. Um, side note, guys, I do want to give Blake Snell his due here. This is a great stat by. Um, by stats, uh, pitchers with eight or more strikeouts and no hits allowed through four innings of a World Series. Blake Snell tonight and Sandy Koufax in the 1963 game one. I have a feeling that Sandy Koufax probably recorded more than two outs after that fourth inning. <laughs> Fair bet. <laughs> but still, still uh, a nice uh, stat. Also, it does seem like Eno said yesterday, the stats are getting a little out of control with the <laughs> this plus this plus this. Um, also, a lot of like cumulative stats where you're like, yeah, dude, we just had the longest postseason of all time, which let me say... It felt a little bit like that, but that's all right. <laughs> it's true. It is true. Well, Randy or Rosarina, I think, passed Derek Jeter, right, in a postseason hits, which, again, it is the longest postseason of all time. But it is Randy or Rosarina, so we should definitely give him his due because I feel like we talk about him at least once on every show. <laughs> you just got to get him in there. <laughs> I'm looking at uh, the Koufax playoff game log, and he pitched in four different <laughs> postseasons. And anytime he started a game, he went at least six. He had uh, four complete games, and two of them were shutouts. <laughs> so, yeah, he, uh, he <laughs> a little did, not bit different. The, did not have the Blake <laughs> yeah. Snell. Uh, a little bit different than getting 10 outs. <laughs> People were looking up like, oh, when was the last time we had a non-injured starter go as short as Gonsolin did? And it's like, okay, well, this base, you can't compare. It's like comparing apples to like pine cones, right? It's like a totally <laughs> different game now. Of course, this is going to be some kind of history. We're all equally befuddled. And we you didn't even see this a year or two ago. Like this, like, hey, let's take a... Yeah, right? it's totally different. Like Jason Stark had this has this cool bit in his in his piece tomorrow. Nick Anderson has now pitched in every inning between the third and the ninth. That's awesome. It's cool. It's actually kind of just an explanation of how different baseball is now than it has been before. Yeah. You know? he might it's also it's cool. All. It's slowing the game down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> also, I don't think I've ever complained about pace of play because unlike you guys, I don't cover games at the ballpark. And I've never hosted a post-game show until this year. <laughs> I notice pace of play a little bit more now. Just a little bit. Because when I watch the game and the game ends and I go to bed, I don't care what time the game ends. But when I have to come in talk about the game for a little while and put the podcast together, I start to think more about it. I notice it as a fan, but I notice it differently as a fan. When I'm sitting in the in the in the fans' seats, I don't notice necessarily how long I've been there because I'm happy. I'm having a beer. I'm talking to someone. I'm, I'm you know having a hot dog. That sort of deal. Like I don't notice how long the game is, but I do notice the lack of balls in play and the sort of the lack of pace. Like I, I do notice that because you know just do one thing when you're like sitting at the at the park and like like look up from your phone for like a whole inning and like watch it and watch the other fans. And you'll notice that they all look up when there's a ball in play. 
you know, and now that we're at the yeah. very nadir of balls in play, like the, the very fewest balls in play of all time in baseball, that means that people are looking up from their phones at the very, <laughs> the very least amount. Um, and I think that does mean something. I would do something about velocity. I might think about lowering the mound. Um, I might think about uh, putting a pitch clock on the pitchers, telling the hitters to get in the box. Like I would, I would, yep. I would attack pace of play and the ball and play thing as like kind of a, a part and parcel. Is something that's something we can change. If, if we don't like something about the game, we can change it. It doesn't have to. We don't have to like play the same game we played 120 years ago when they said, "Please, sir, could I have a high strike, please?" <laughs> right, right. That's true. Anywhere they just got the ball and immediately threw it. But yeah. I do think, as a fan, even watching the games on my couch, like. I had I was talking to a baseball executive the other day, and he said, "You know, I was watching the game, and I was going to hit pause because I had to pee, but then I'm like, no, nah, it's fine. I'll I'll rewind it when I get back." He's like, "I get back, I haven't missed a single pitch," <laughs> and he goes, "And I really had to pee." So it's <laughs> <laughs> the TMI, but that's uh, I mean that's that's it's true. I I actually managed to shower the dogs and the kids. Um, and missed only uh, three pitches. It was like there was like a pitching change, and I I did it strategically. But I came back, and I was wow. like, "Whoa, dude, the same guy's up, man!" And I was like, "Ha, ah, I did a good job." That's what I mean. It's, it's mostly it's I a... just threw them in there and just sprayed them down. But <laughs> yeah, I was wondering if you just hosed them all off. Yeah, it wasn't like an amazing shower. It was just like <laughs> the two dogs you know, and the two kids all in there at the same time, up top, down low. Get the milk off the dog. All right, we're good. If you could have each kid kind of like hold a dog for you, <laughs> you, know, you, you could streamline the whole process. Well, the good news is the dogs seem to like it. So <laughs> it's good. It it's good to have dogs deal. that like to be bathed. It makes that whole process yeah, that a lot so easier. Uh, so all right, game three, game four. Uh, those are going to happen before uh, all of us get to speak again. So. What are we looking for here? We get the off day Thursday, come back Friday, Saturday. Actually, we're going to have three games completed before we speak next on Sunday night. So the series could theoretically end Sunday, and we could be talking about a World Series champion. I don't see the series ending that quickly, though. I, I think these teams do match up well enough where you know, you're going to find a way for the Rays to get one of these next three, and they can get more. I just think they, they've basically got a coin flip. I think... Morton versus Bueller is very close to fair. I think they do have the disadvantage in game four now that we expect a fully rested Julio Urias to be going for the Dodgers, probably against Ryan Yarbrough. We'll see what the Rays want to do since Yarbrough pitched a little bit in game one. And then in game five, we go back to Clayton Kershaw on the Dodgers side going up against Tyler Glass now again. So that's closer to a coin flip, even though that favors the Dodgers as well. I mean, the more you get a feel for this series, what do you see in this this middle section, in the meat of the series? Oh, the possibilities, right? Yeah. Predicting three games will make your head explode. The the bullpen depth will matter a little <laughs> bit. I don't think anybody wants, you know, Pete Fairbanks or Nick Anderson to go three straight games of 20 pitches or 30 pitches. Uh, so that, that I think that swings a little bit towards the Rays. Uh, did you guys, have you guys noticed... I. I don't look at these sort of things, but Charlie Morton is nails in the postseason. Yes. 
I remember that from, was it last year? Yeah, dude. Like his, last year they made a real big deal about it. Yeah, they did. So I think they win. I, I just don't Morrow's even listen game. to that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's not just like he's made two starts, right? He's got a considerable track record. Yeah, let me let me let me pull um, it up because I, I wasn't even gonna yeah. I wasn't even gonna quote the numbers because it, it seems ridiculous. But it was fifty seven innings now. In 57 innings, yeah. he has a 284 ERA, a 116 whip. And this one, I think, is sort of great. In the last, as a Ray, they've handed him the ball five times in the postseason. He has five wins. I yeah. mean, that's. Yeah. And this yeah. is the Rays you're talking about. You know, they could have taken him out, you know, like a Snell situation where they still won the game, but he didn't get the win. Like, he uh, is legitimately. Uh, you know, his, his strikeout rate, some of it is the shape of his career, right? He was a little bit worse early in his career, and the teams are worse, so he didn't go to the postseason. And as he got better, he you know, he was on better teams, and he went to the postseason. So I am going to look at this. It's funny. I, I asked the two guys, Bueller and, and Morton, about stuff um, in the in the Zooms today. And I talked to Bueller, and I said, you know, the cutters kind of went away when the blisters were happening, and you got a bunch of walks, you were throwing a bunch of curves. Is this all the blister? And he's like, he basically said, yeah, like, I, I couldn't throw the cutter. Like, that's basically what he said. He said certain pressure on that finger just didn't work with that blister. And so in the last uh, outing, he had the most cutters that he'd thrown and since, and since before the blisters. So, you know, I, I think that Bueller is, like, ready to go, and he's going to be vintage Bueller. But I talked to Morton about, you know, what makes him such a great postseason pitcher. And he was like, well, I think you'd want to, you'd want to, like, there's a decent sample now. And I think you'd want to go and look and see if maybe my pitch mix was different and see if maybe I did things a little differently. See, maybe if my velocity is a little bit better in the postseason, you know? <laughs> and, and like, I was like, yes, thank voice? you for laying it out, out for me. I will do that in a piece tomorrow. Thank you for that. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I have looked a little bit and I will look more, but I just want to say, I don't want to jinx him. So I got to be, you know, I don't care. I don't know if I believe in jinxes, but I don't, I don't want to like set him up, be like, you know, he's amazing. And these are all the things he does differently. Let me do your advanced scouting for you, uh, LA. Like these are all the, the, the amazing things, but um, that he does differently in the postseason. But what I've seen is he goes to sinker a little bit more, and with added velocity, I think his sinker is more effective. Um, he also surprises people a little bit by going to the sinker more uh, when he's been such a four-seam guy in the regular season. And um, just a shout-out to Morton. If we don't get to talk about him again, he retires or whatever. He is one of the most emotional, uh, you know, with it, uh, with the new new wave metrics, but also in touch with himself, piano like 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 uh, guitar playing. Like I mean, he's just a, a joy to cover. I mean, I was I was just standing next to him while he was just crying tears of joy after the of the Astros won um, that game that and clinched the World Series, and he got the final outs. And it was just he he kept deflecting other people and talking about how it was great for everybody else and how he was just so happy yeah. for everybody. And I just I just wanted to say. Charlie Moore. I stand Charlie Morton, man. That guy is great. <laughs> Whatever he does in game five. And so if you're asking me for a pick, Charlie Morton's gonna win. We <laughs> Charlie Morton's gonna that win. That was a long winding road to get to that pick. I relabeled that segment. it was initially games three to five predictions. Now it just says Charlie Morton's playoff success in the in the show notes. Sorry. So yeah. I don't I don't think we I don't think we have enough time to hear Eno's game four and five. I, predictions. I'm always I'm always good for one rant to show. That was my rant. I I, I end rants. I enjoyed it. I thought well, it was great. There's a chicken uh, and egg thing though with the success that Morton's had with the Rays. He's five and zero oh with the Rays in the postseason. He's never 
never completed six innings. It's five, 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 and five and two thirds. And that was in game seven when he was pitching extremely well. Part of the reason he might be this good in the postseason is because he's not getting through the lineup the that extra time. Kershaw problem. <laughs> 20 to 22 batters faced in all of those starts. That's a big deal. You're not pushing him all the way through the order a third time. I think that's a huge part of it. And the, the three through five part of the series is going to be really interesting because if Morton does that again, the Rays are going to use their A relievers, assuming they have a lead or it's close. If you get to game four and Yarbrough doesn't get very deep into that game, if he's only going to go three or four, you're going to have to try and string it together with some of your B relievers. Otherwise, you run the risk of possibly going three in a row because you're going to want to throw That's a, loss for me, dude. a relievers again. I, I think game is a loss for me. Yeah. I, I think I feel the same way. I think we all liked the Rays going into game two. I feel the same way about the Dodgers having a clear advantage in game four. Like, it's interesting that they each yeah. kind of have this problem that they have to deal with. Each team's going to have one punt game, most likely. And if you could steal the yeah. punt game, you've done really well. I do think the Dodgers take two of the next three. Um, for all the reasons you guys discussed, there, there's a clear advantage there. Um, that that Kershaw-Glasnow game is kind of a little bit more of a toss-up. Would I be shocked if the, the Rays stole that one? No. Um, would either of you? I, don't, I think we can make the case that, you know, they could hit Kershaw harder than they did, especially if the lineup continues to kind of find its way a little bit, right? Or they take um, Glass now we, out earlier. Yes, and we know the Dodgers make adjustments. So, you know, I don't see Glass now all of a sudden pitching six or seven innings, but I see Kevin Cash maybe pulling the puppet strings a little bit earlier, um, going to the bullpen, no wing. I think there's a difference, too, in these long series. When you get to over that hump, you know now you can just ride these guys. Right, you're at games five, six, seven. Like this is it. I don't care who you have to use, when and where, and you just can't manage like that in games one and two if you want your relievers' arms to still be screwed on by the end of the series. So I think we're going to see a very different game when we get to that Kershaw Glass Now game again. And I really do think this series still goes at least six. I hope it does. It could be. It could be Dodgers win. Dodgers win. Dodgers win. I mean, it really could be. But I'm going to go Rays win, Dodgers win. Oh, man. I don't know. See? that fit? It's such a toss-up. If it's a blowout. That last game? I think if it's a blowout in game four, I think that actually is good for the Rays because they'll just put Sheriff out there for, you know, three innings or something and, and, uh, and save all their bullets. Fleming, yeah. They'll, just throw, they'll throw those guys Fleming, out there. Yeah. And just let them chew up a few yeah. innings and have everybody ready to go, and if they need to pull a glass now after three, they get them through the lineup one time in game five and then go A relievers. That might be the plan. I think the Rays take game three and they lose game four. I think the Dodgers are going to win five. It's, it's going to be three, two Dodgers the next time we speak on this podcast. So the, the Rays fans are going to be going crazy coming out of game three. They're going to be on that emotional roller coaster. And as the weekend comes to a close, they're going to be facing elimination and panic mode will have set in. I mean, that's, that's the life of a fan, right? <laughs> it's the life of a fan. That's the, it's the price of being there, right? You, you have to run the risk of being hurt very badly if things don't go the way that you want. So I'm on 3-2 Dodgers. When we get to our show on Sunday night, any other thoughts here before we, we get out? 
Enjoy the weekend as much as you can. I mean, enjoy. I think, you know, Rich Hill, like Rich Hill is is like, uh, there's this guy named Baba Ramdas who's like, be here now. And he says, like, be in the present. And Rich Hill is like my Baba Ramdas. And I'm, I'm, so, I'm sorry he's not in this World Series because he always talks about be present, enjoy the highs and the lows, you know. Uh, and so I think even as a fan, try to do it. Try not to chew all your nails off and just try to enjoy this, that, that this is this incredible thing is happening. Take a few breaks from Twitter in the next few days as well. Yeah. Uh, so this would be a time for me to say, don't follow us now. Or if you do follow us now, you know, turn the app off for a few days. <laughs> On Twitter, she's at Brit underscore Giroli. He's at Eno Saris. I'm at Derek Van Riper. If you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, you can get one for $1 a month at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Gets you all the great coverage that we have about the World Series and about every other sport that we're covering as well. Big Ten football is back. Yeah, that's right. That came back. Ooh. thought that was definitely uh, on yes. ice for a season, and they, <laughs> they resurrected it. So I'll be sure to uh, read my Big Ten coverage this weekend with that schedule getting underway. Enjoy the next three games of the series. Enjoy some time away this weekend. We are back with you after Game 5. Thanks for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.